Today on the Nostal Junk Podcast, I sit down with Dave from the Super Movie Bros Podcast, and we begin to chat about his favorite horror movie, which is Alien, and how I tie it into the slasher genre. And then things kind of get out of control, but I won't spoil anything. I'll leave you hanging. You just got to hear how this hilarious conversation plays out. That's all next on the Stall Junk Podcast. This is the Nostal Junk Podcast, where one person's junk is another person's childhood. I'm Matt McGraw. And I'm Kyle Smith. Join us as we take a deep dive into your pop culture consciousness. You were touching on Alien. For sure. Let's go with Alien because... Uh, Aliens are right around the time of what I'm currently talking about, and I wanted to tie something in with you once you're done. You riff on Alien. Yeah, sure. I mean, 1979, man. Uh, One year after Star Wars had come out, every studio out there is looking for the next Star Wars. 20th Century Fox had a script that had sitting around, written by, written by I believe the name is O'Bannon, um, and it, it was a space ad- adventure, you know? There was there was an alien, it was on a ship, and stuff like that. It had space in it, which was enough for a studio to greenlight any project at the time in and around Star Wars. So this this gets greenlit, and they, they get a hotshot young director who just came off of Cannes Film Festival with his film The Duel, Ridley Scott. They bring him in. Major script changes are done, uh, and they they really turned this what was like an action-adventure-type movie into a dark, very realistic-feeling uh, sci-fi horror flick, Alien. And they get H.R. Giger to do the art, which is just absolutely phenomenal all everything in there that is alien related uh, as far as the xenomorphs go which they weren't called that at this time but that the xenomorphs uh, are concerned the egg the face hugger the xenomorph itself that's all Giger's art and uh, the Nostromo is it's it, it becomes in itself like a cabin in the woods, you know, like when you watch a movie like Evil Dead, the entire the, practically the entire movie takes place within that that cabin. Um, and the Nostromo is very much is that same setting. You know, it is it it becomes a a cabin where people you, you feel claustrophobic, you feel stuck, you feel trapped in there along with this creature because the only thing outside is the vacuum of space. Um, and then, of course, uh, they, you also have the threat from from inside, from inside their own group coming from Ash, the, the android. Um, it, it's just so perfectly well done and, and, and comes together in just such a way that it – I don't think anything has – I mean, things have come close to it, but I don't think anything has really has really touched it in the sci-fi horror genre uh, in in quite some time. Um, I mean, we might get into a movie that came out in 1982 that gets very close, John Carpenter film, but uh, this is just by far the like when I think of sci-fi horror, I put this up there in like my number one spot, and uh, for for Alien. 
you know, it has this incredible history that goes with it because in 86, obviously, we got a sequel, which is not, I would not say that that is an action horror at, or that, that that is a sci-fi horror. That is a sci-fi action thriller, but I wouldn't put horror in there with Aliens. I, but with Alien, I can say that that's, that's a horror film for sure. Um, and I, I think just about every sequel that's come out after Aliens has done nothing but to tarnish uh, the original, uh, if, if anything. But, you know, we still get... Ridley Scott out there trying to do what he did with Alien now uh, in in his late seventies, and it's just it just doesn't work, you know. Prometheus and and Alien Covenant, mm, I just don't I just don't go with it. Um, but it has one of the most fascinating behind the scenes stories behind it as well. From from you know Ridley Scott being an absolute dictator of of a director uh, to you know people wanting to to leave set and stuff like that. It's it's honestly it's it's pretty amazing that the film got made given how how much it went uh over budget and and over filming schedule and it was also filmed right in the same location as star wars and everything that you see inside the nostromo was 100 percent built on a set on on a soundstage they could have phoned it in and left the top open and stuff like that and just filmed it low but ridley scott wanted the actors to feel as claustrophobic as possible so he, he he made them build basically the entire inside of this ship, and those actors spent 16 hours a day inside this set. God. <laughs> so he was directing from a place where it's like, well, they may not be method actors. They may not be living this character, but by God, their days will be filled with what this character's days would have been filled with. Right. It's torment. <laughs> Yes, but in a sense, Sigourney Weaver said as much that 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 it was torment. So much so that the alien uh, chestburster scene that that happens, they knew that that scene was coming. It's 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 in the script. They've all read the script. They know it's coming. What they weren't told was the effects that were going to be used, what the creature would look like, and what would happen. So they get brought in, and they're doing this scene. And John Hurt is lying there screaming like a banshee, looking like he's really hurt. And this this chestburster is just thumping out of his chest and they used an air hammer to do it through through the the prosthetic of his chest and when it and they said it's like they actually made weaving and like bones for it to crack through so it sounded like actual bones breaking so you got an air hammer that's thump thump thumping you got this loud cracking sound and eventually as it bursts open they spray everybody in there with blood none of these actors were prepared for this and they're getting sprayed with blood. <laughs> and then this little thing comes out, turns, looks at them, and then fires across the table. None of them were prepared for any of that. So all of their reactions are absolutely legitimate. It is it is actually what <laughs> happened on the screen. And <laughs> Veronica Cartwright, who played Lambert in the film, uh, she actually broke down crying like after oh, this. Oh, man. <laughs> because it was so torturous to her. Right. Uh, it's... I mean, it's it, it, it. You hear stories like that about one of your favorite films, and you just go like, "That's God, that's amazing." And so many movies have have these type of like background stories. Some of them are fun. Some of them are like are like amazing. Some of them are truly horrific. Stoner chicks. We're four friends who met through comedy and bonded through weed. I'm Grace Penzel. I'm Kayla Teal. I'm Stephanie Thompson. I'm Phoebe Richards. If you love smoking weed and laughing with your friends, this podcast is for you. Weekly episodes will drop on Fridays starting April 2nd. So subscribe now to Stoner Chicks wherever you get your podcasts. Coming to your favorite podcatcher soon. 
What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. Alien is just one of those things that, like, deep down inside, I I, I saw it at an age when I was, I, I want to say, like, like early mid-teens. Like, we'll say, like, 14, 15. Um, and it... it I'm I'm just getting out of like my I mean I grew up loving Indiana Jones, Back to the Future, Star Wars, you know, uh, Goonies, like these these '80s action movies, these the these '80s adventure movies that uh, kind of created who I was. We just did a top five on my show called the Top Five Movie, the Top Five Movies That Made Us, mm-hmm. and those are the movies that made me because I watched them when I was knee high to a duck, and you know that that kind of influenced my watching but once you get into like that angsty teenage years yes. you know that that same stuff it, while it's still nostalgic for you it doesn't do it for you you know you can't watch that every weekend anymore mm-hmm. so i began looking for stuff like like alien and like the thing and uh you know later on slashers like friday the 13th and uh definitely the halloween series was more my jam though uh i i, I remember being like 15 and eating up the halloween series like like no other and just absolutely loving every minute of the original Halloween uh, from the score just to the to, just to the incredibly slow methodic movements of Michael Myers mm-hmm. like there's there's so much to love there when I was a kid but like alien fits right along in that it is this absolutely crazy um, you know just immersive experience uh, for for you when you're young and the first time seeing it you're watching it alone in a dark room uh, with your covers and and a bag of uh, Oreos or whatever right next to you and you're just <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're equal parts like amazed but also just a little bit like scared shitless you got like that nervous sweat around your ball sack you know yep and then you realize that like everything shriveled up inside you and you were like I really was just a little scared hmm. yeah I've, that's I've, not I've, so well much of a man now <laughs> the, uh, the description that you just gave um, yeah, I've been scared for 35 years then. I was in the pool! <laughs> just, just, just all sitting in my up. office, Just sitting in my office chair. Yeah, you know? that's it. <laughs> um, so what, what I was going to touch on with uh, Alien was, uh, and, and, and tying it into the slasher genre, was the notion of the final girl. Ellen Ripley, the, the character, of course, is kind of like the archetype for what final girls could be as also being the ultimate final girl she isn't the helpless vacationing party victim right but the venn diagram that ties them together is that they are industrious they are able to make their own decisions they are virtuous in the sense that they don't partake in extracurriculars that will distract them or set them up for their inevitable end so you know, in in the slasher genre, it's easy to love the killer more than 
the victims because they're one dimensional and they're usually quite stupid. Well, also in a series, they also become your your focal point. They become your tie to the series. Like most certainly. The people being killed, the victims, they change every time. But the but the one constant when you're watching the series is it's the killer for the most part. Yeah. And in Alien, it's equal part this is the coolest creature I've ever seen. I'd love to see more of this to I want to see what kills it. But isn't it also the sexual nature of that creature? <laughs> isn't there like is it like equally as odd to look at this creature with a giant phallus for a head? Oh yes. Well, I like mean, that, we've already it, talked about ball sacks, so yes. Yes. <laughs> I mean, but that's and that's Giger's art, man. Like Giger's yeah. art is just is just that. a face hugger when it's splayed out is is a vagina and it's the delivery system for the egg. <laughs> so, I mean, like there's there's no there's no bones about it. It's very creepy, but also at the same time when you're watching it, you're recognizing that it's slightly sensual in a way that makes you feel just the right amount of awkward. Exactly. <laughs> and and that kind of speaks to the strife that it occurs between Ripley and the Xenon morphs no i believe originally in the script ripley was meant to be male it wasn't it wasn't a positive thing to portray a, a female survivor in like in like this way that that wasn't what it was i think more along the lines of like 70s mind mind processing would be um you know wouldn't it be wouldn't it be different you know wouldn't mm-hmm. it wouldn't it be wouldn't it be cool if it if, if it was a girl you know like that's that's kind of like how how the change was made i think in retrospect bannon and and some of the other screenwriters have said that they purposely wanted to go out there and 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 make a woman but let's face it if the studio didn't want it that way then they wouldn't have allowed it to happen sure. um yeah. but i think i think in retrospect you can look at it at that way that, sure. that, that you're talking about where it is it is the giant phallic monster who's who's chasing her and stuff and, and you know it's it's her to survive but how does she survive she lies dormant and and (laughs) has to wait for her time to strike um so yeah but that's but i I guess that again that speaks to um you know waiting for the time to strike and you know a a change of social change um you know we're talking about a movie here and 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 the more that i was looking into the slasher genre um throughout the 70s you know you 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 see quite a quite a an upstream unfortunately of sensationalized serial killings televised and becoming a part of pop culture and these serial killers end up becoming um discussion points around the world and and people talk about it you know around the water coolers they they stay with you when you go to sleep at night they become a part of your subconsciousness that the appeal of finding out why a killer kills is also the sick twisted lure that is entertaining of a slasher film because yeah, some of it it's, is filmed it has become is, it has become fetishism for sure right and uh, you know in 74 black christmas that was one of those first uh, of of you know a, a proto slasher but not the perfected carpenter Halloween being the the as what I feel is the true first of it because it was so close to the era that ended up becoming like oh let's turn out this low budget high rate of return kind of slasher film uh, Black Christmas show uh, allowed the audience to experience the killings from the killer's perspective 
point of view. Um, it happened in 1960 from a, a movie called Peeping Tom that was kind of overshadowed by Psycho because it came out at the same time. Um, right. Uh, I'll say there's a lot of people that make the argument that Psycho is the original slasher. However, I don't think the elements of what is in Halloween that make like the modern slasher are all there in, in Psycho. Psycho is far more um, psychological yes. than it than, and, and cerebral than it than anything in like Halloween because what makes the slasher genre you know so so I want to say like not just popular but like but like kind of what defines it is that it's an unstoppable killing machine there isn't much psychology to it unless you're watching the Rob Zombie version of Halloween in which case then it's far too much you know psycho babble but if you're if you're just talking about Carpenter's original Halloween there's 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 almost zero motive, and what they do find is only a plausible motive. But when you get into when you get into something like Psycho, it is so you know that what is going on is is kind of so dissected and stuff. By the time the film ends and and it's almost fully realized, he's not the unstoppable killing machine. He had a name, you know. It it, it was Norman Bates. So right. um, you know, yeah. it, while Michael Myers is a name, his name in the credits is not Michael Myers. It's the shape. It's the shape. So. Which is also why I'm calling episode two the shape of slashers to come. Ah, look at you with the puns. Well, also Kyle, his favorite album of all time is The Refused, The Shape of Punk to Come. So I was like, you know, I'll tie it in. And uh, we have a beer that comes out around here from the Chamonix Creek Brewing called The Shape of Hops to Come. Okay, (laughs) fair enough. So, but Uh, yeah, so that, that was kind of my little tie into Alien and uh, Slasher being of the era and um, that kind of cyber horror world that came after using the 80s aesthetic that uh, that 84 um, Terminator tech noir kind of vibe. Um, oh, for sure. You know, yeah, I think I think you're on to something. You're on to something there. While while Alien may have gone on to define its its own genre of like sci-fi horror moving forward, um, it you know it still is in that horror vein and you know the filmmakers behind a lot of other slasher films and i'm not talking about carpenter directly i'm talking about you know the ones that came after him to the later horror films are definitely influenced by the things that came before like alien Mm -hmm. and stuff like that so yeah i don't i don't think there's a filmmaker today who if you ask them a horror filmmaker today if you ask them like about alien they couldn't you know go on you know anything less than a 20 minute diatribe about why they love it like I, i listened to a talk from Alex Garland. Um, he, uh, you know, he's the director of Ex Machina and Annihilation, and now he has uh, come out with the TV series Devs. And then even before that, the what I what I love that I just found out is he actually ghost directed Dread 3D. Um, after the original director left, um, he's a massive fan of Alien. Like, like, absolutely massive fan. So you can see the influences, especially when you watch like Annihilation of Alien on him as a filmmaker. Uh, so, and it's not, you know, Annihilation, an all female cast practically. So, I did really like Annihilation. I thought that was super cool. I absolutely loved it. Uh, it's one of those things that, like, if me and you start getting into it, <laughs> it'll be like a six hour discussion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, it was a hard movie for me to review to explain to people why I liked it so much. Yeah. Uh, because it's like, Watch it three more times and then come to me and talk to me sure. because like, yeah, uh, I've watched it like I've, I've watched it a ton of times since then. And it's one of those things where like your opinion on what's going on 
changes. Yep. And I I think that that's like a purposeful thing on their part, though, where it's like uh, mm. there is there 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 is a rhyme or reason, but it's beyond us as as a human species to even understand it. Yeah, for sure. And and when you were talking about uh, Alien being kind of the first of the the horror. Um, before that, like you said, sci-fi existed within fantasy, you know, kind of like a almost like a riff off of a prince and a princess and uh, this mythical kind of thing. Whereas it, it, I felt the same way, you know, I the alien was my sci-fi because I could right. appreciate it. The fact that it was horror based, it just so happened to be in space. Like that's the difference. Like that's how it felt. Maybe right. it is to what you said that genuine reaction of isolation and 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 uh, being confined in a very tight set uh, being uncomfortable catching genuine reactions to uh, special effects that they've never seen before uh, so that element of surprise is real and that's the real horror that's ex- uh, it's captured Right. Um, and it's so different than the horror from the horror sci-fi that we were getting in like the 50s where, yes. you know, you could do the close up shot of the of the blonde bombshell looking up in the sky at nothing. because mm. That's what she was seeing, screaming and reacting to nothing. And then they would, you know, put film over top of film and they filmed the giant tarantula and it's walking around and stuff like that. Like that was the old sci-fi. Now, that stuff's kitschy. It's fun. There's a ton of love there, yes. too, in that genre. But you know, Alien was kind of like at least the first time that I'm watching it. Uh, I mean, we can get into John Carpenter's like Dark Star and stuff like that, but we won't. Uh, but like Alien's like the first time where like mass media, it, it was that genre completely flipped on its head you know and and it was a lot of people went and saw this because they just came out of the theaters the summer before and they were their minds were blown by star wars and here we go we're going back to space and it wasn't too far removed from 2001 a space odyssey as well Well, so thank thank you for bringing that up that is one of my favorite movies of all time and i and i i think that 2001 uh, although is very canon like you cannot you know, give its due if you like it or not. It's one of those films that, yes, it is important, but it is important in so many ways of not only the storytelling, the framing. We know Kubrick as a as as an eye was was great, um, but its influence on the technology that ended up being incorporated into sci-fi. Um, For sure, the his his sets. Like I'm looking back now, you know, on the Blu-ray copies and then, you know, if you have an old VHS copy of it, when you compare them, you still cannot tell, you know, it still looks so good. They don't look like miniatures. And then as far as, you know, the camera placements and his tricks with filming the the centrifuge, like to, to the point where people are just still studying a 1968 piece of film going okay, how did he actually film that? How did they do that? Right. I mean, one of the one of my favorite stories of 2001, we just did a, a Patreon episode for it where we, we I made Jay rewatch it here in the home theater. I have a projector and put the lights down and stuff. You wear mm. noise-canceling headphones and stereo and stuff, which I, I, I was the only way uh, we can experience 2001. We watched that and The Shining back-to-back. I don't uh. recommend doing that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> don't recommend Those are two that. forms of isolation I could do without yes. right now. Yeah, you don't, you don't want to do that. One of my favorite stories from it was the fact that um one of the last things that they shot and it's one of the simplest effects absolutely simplest effects 
uh, but it took them forever to figure out how to do it. It was the pen floating on the shuttle right, on its way to the moon so base. So awesome. And they couldn't figure out how to do it because they tried string. You could see the string. Kubrick was not happy with that. Uh, you know, they, they, they tried magnets, but they couldn't keep it steady. Uh, it kept moving. With it kept moving around yes. out of shot and stuff like yeah. that. So what they wound up doing was an ultra like polished piece of glass <laughs> floating there. Yeah. And it was just just clear enough that you don't see it. And they, you know, they but they had to make it attached to the glass and they also had to make it so fine that she was able to reach up and pluck that pen off of it and put it in his pocket. Mm-hmm. And that was the effect that drove Kubrick nuts for, I believe it was like three years or something like that. While yeah, this not, movie. not trying to, yeah, not trying to make sure that the ending feels buttoned up or anything that he stressed no. over. No, no. Get that pen no. floating. Right. But, but what I mean, it's like the, you know, the, uh, oh, sorry. You know the 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 scene with the with the uh, with the ring spinning around and him running and stuff yes, like that, which is that didn't cause him sleepless nights, right? Like he went in there and he knew how he was going to film that. Yes, but he didn't know how to film that pen. I love it, and I think that, that I mean that's like one of those like movie magic like stories that like drives me insane that like I just absolutely love. Like when we you know when you think about like Jurassic Park and it's like it's something so simple. How do you just make that? That glass of water. How do you make it ripple? Mm-hmm. No one can figure it out. It took weeks. Uh, guess what? You just tie a guitar string underneath the dashboard and you pluck it, and it works. <laughs> <laughs> and it's the simplest solution to these big problems. But it's it's so fascinating the way that like because you wouldn't have thought I wouldn't have thought of that. No. You wouldn't have thought of that. But I mean like it. But and it took this. It took Kubrick sleepless nights to figure like how how clear can we make glass. <laughs> How clear can we get glass? I know it's clear. Yeah, I know. Like I know it's clear, but I mean, like, you know, can I not get someone's filthy mitts all over? I don't want. I don't want a fucking smudge on it. Not one smudge. That's right. I just need the cleanest, clearest piece of glass and the ultra super fine. Like I want. I want like I want the hair on a baby's ass type mm. of Velcro so that she could pluck it off. <laughs> Not yeah. how Kubrick talked. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You, you sir, have super fine hearing. What you just heard were two cotton balls being rubbed together on a piece of felt. <laughs> I just love when movies nod to other things that you're a fan of, be it a mu- music or movie or something like that. And you hear a line there. You're like, oh, man, that's from that. And where you laugh to yourself and you realize you're only one laugh and you're like, that's fine because that, that exists for me only. Those well, are those things like, that keep me in. Isn't it like true nostalgic heads like anyone who's like listening right now? Like we, we just we started a conversation by talking about Alien and then we brought it into the slasher genre and then we brought it we we brought it back to to 2001 and we just brought it back to Alien and then the modern Alien movies. Like I mean that's what that's what it, that, that's what this nostalgia is. That's what it does. Most I mean certainly. Like, you know, yeah. That's what it yeah. does. Yeah. It riffs off of itself. I mean, you cannot once once nostalgia becomes a nostalgia, that means it meant something. Yeah, so then sure. so then anything that comes after that that makes you feel like you can reference it or you spot references. Um uh, well, for instance, Toy Story and you see the shining carpet, you know, and then you hear yeah, the for sure. yeah. uh, Toy Story 4 and you hear that song playing on the record player at the antique shop. 
I'm the dad going, oh, man, that's awesome. Right. Or like something as simple as like I watched it in it chapter two and I was just like, yeah, I'm going to watch The Shining. And then like it just happened to be that like Dr. Sleep was coming out and I was like, I'm going to watch Dr. Sleep. And then I went and saw Dr. Sleep in the theaters and I was like, that was awesome. Yes, it was. I'm going to I'm going to watch The Shining. <laughs> you know what I mean? But like um, I, I I don't know whether you're like this or not. So maybe I, I'm not sure if this is just a disease I have. My my co-host Jay always talks about I have this disease and it, and it needs to it needs to go away because it causes me to 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 do far more uh, homework for our show than I really need to do. But um, so like when you when you watch something, do you have the need to then watch other things in that genre like right after it, if not just the direct sequels? Cause yes. like, so like we, we did our alien three movie cocktail, um, a couple months back. And while, while watching alien three, I was just like halfway through it. I was like, you know what? I'm, I, I feel like I need to just experience all of this, like in a row. So I'm going to watch alien and watch aliens and, I'm, and then I'm going to watch alien three. Then I'll watch alien resurrection. Then I'll watch AVP and then I'll watch uh, Requiem and, Right. Well, now I got to go back and I got to watch the Predator movies and then I got to watch the Predator and then hate myself after watching the Predator and hate Shane Black for coming back and doing it. Um, And then, but like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, the whole lineage. Right. There's like a disease to like your nostalgia uh, at at a time. And I find myself falling into it so much uh, Mm. where like I I wind up and, and I call it research, but really what it is, is just like I wind up watching this thing that puts me in the mood to watch other things like it that I love. And then I just I just continue on down the line. Sometimes I'll seek out new things that are in that vein as well. But for the most part, it's just, you know, loving the things that I love and and celebrating them in my own way and in that way it's it's binge watching usually not leaving my underwear until 3 p.m. and my wife going are you gonna do anything today and I was like yeah just as soon as this is done yeah I'm doing plenty <laughs> thank you yeah this is research refill my please. show do what do you what what do you do yeah. what's your side gig <laughs> doing the dishes yeah. get out of here <laughs> your mom goes to college <laughs> But no, you, you you immerse yourself in the universe of whatever you're watching just to make sure that you don't miss anything, right? Right. That's what you convince yourself of. You know, aside, you're putting your like love and the heart rate and all that aside and memories and channeling that moment when you first see it. Like, you know, just just like you said, you know, you just you, you keep going and you can't watch three until you watch one and two fresh and then you can't watch four and then it's it got to go on and on. You got to watch all the bad ones in between, even if they have right. nothing to do. Because And if it's been over a week or two, then I got to start the process over again because <laughs> it's yeah. not fresh enough in my it's mind. It's either that, you scrap it, or you start a new franchise right afterwards. Right. Yeah. 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 I remember like uh, leading into, you know, the rise of Skywalker and stuff like that. Mm. I was like... I, I I was just on Disney Plus and I was like, I, even though I own it I, in, on Disney Plus, it's in Ultra HD, which I I have an Ultra HD TV, yes. but I only have a, a Blu-ray player, so yes. it's only 1080p, not Ultra HD. So yes. I, I I watched Rogue One in like Ultra HD and I was like, oh, right, this is phenomenal. And then like I was like, all right, so I'll go back, I'll watch all the originals, and then I'll watch the prequels, and then I'll watch the the other two that lead into the Rise of Skywalker. And boy, do I not recommend that because you get filled with so much Star Wars nostalgia that when you go into the Rise of Skywalker and you just you just feel the weight of that dump that was just taken onto your chest, yeah, it, it hurts and so boy. much more. 
<laughs> you know, it's like one. It's like it's like one of Nibbler's dumps from from uh, from Futurama, where it's super dense and it's the weight Ooh. of a dark of a dark star and it just weighs on you. And you're just like fuck. You know, I, I did this with my wife recently, where I was just like, that was the initial sting, right? Like the prequels right. all all stung me a little bit, but I've grown in appreciation to them. So, and I did the same with Solo. I, I hated Solo the first time I saw it. I've watched it several times. I've grown and I've appreciated it in a way. And I bought I bought the Rise of Skywalker on Blu-ray. I I was watching it with my wife, and she goes, "How's that sting?" And I was like, "Still fresh, you know. If yeah. I don't stop picking it, it's never going to heal." That's it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god but, but yeah and 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 you you know you gotta watch the bad ones right and you and you end up falling in love with them in their own miserable way you i know, love alien versus predator and i won't apologize for it the like not requiem just the alien not AVP. requiem yeah just avp i i i do retroactively wish it was rated r um, mm-hmm. I feel like you're, you're, you're neutering your own genre that you helped create sure. <laughs> by, by making it PG 13 and looking for them, for them dollar dollar bills that still never came. Um, nope. but you know, I, I, but while, while watching it, there's still things to like, right? Like it's still, you know, the little kid in me who was buying the dark horse comics of alien versus mm-hmm. predator, because fuck, I always wanted to see that ever since I saw the, the, the predator put a human skull right next to a xenomorph skull. And I went, I never realized that I wanted that until this very moment in my life. <laughs> and then suddenly I became a kid seeking out that that stuff and I found yeah. it in the Dark Horse comics and here it is live on TV for me. And the premise for it wasn't bad. It was plausible, it was believable. It, it, it worked. You had your final girl and everything like that and she was rough, tough, tumble. And then you're you're just you're watching and you're like, "Oh, but they didn't flush out any other character at all or really give any story to these aliens that are bashing each other at all." Um so right. Yeah, but it's not it's, good. It's, it's but I enjoy for it. the fans, though. Like, but you know, it is. It, it's for the people that don't care about the gaps. It's like it's like myself. I actually really enjoyed Freddy versus Jason. It is not good. It is not my first go-to recommended for anyone to watch either one of them. But I think you, it's such you can't enjoy that without the entire pantheon of what came before it. Exactly. You, you you can't understand the joke of something unless you understand that thing. You could watch any other Freddy or Jason movie to come after it because it doesn't set up anything for anything. It's literally a, a a day at the arcade and you played Freddy versus Jason just because it was there. So are you and like you me? Get- are you upset that you didn't get the Freddy versus Jason versus Ash that was being set up? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I thought I thought the story made so much sense, you know. I was they, I was they good get their with hands it. on the Necrolomicon, and then mm-hmm. that causes Jason to rise because he's technically a deadite again, and like all this stuff. And Ash mm-hmm. has to come in, and do, they did it. They did it in the Boom comics and stuff, but it's not the same as being on screen, man. It just no. God, that would have been so good. I think it's, but like I said, I don't think I could have loved it without having seen you know what came before it and understanding it. Um, oh I, I, yeah. I, I don't I don't love the hero aspect of Jason, <laughs> which like really like as as a viewer watching it, just being like, right. you know, I'm rooting for him in the end. And I was like, why am I rooting for him? Well, well that's what's so crazy about <laughs> slashers is that, you know, when when you're looking when you're dissecting the the actual uh, slasher character, uh, there's so many variations of it. It's but but there's always a formula um, that that seems to follow suit, which is, you know, a, a trauma from before their, 
sadistic side takes over. And Jason's side, it was a, it was a childhood trauma. Right, had had a really crazy mother. Well, also the the the, the post traumatic stress of being ignored and almost drowning, or exactly that's drowning. what I'm saying, right? So so he he drowned, he died, but yeah. Okay, I mean, so. isn't there, there? There's a debate whether he actually is a living human being in the second one or not. Um, I, I I would say he is because yeah, I, 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 I I think he's a he's alive in the second one. It's that yes. one that he is killed and then becomes the undead. Yes. Rest in peace. <laughs> and for sure, but but Freddie, he he goes from being wonderfully sadistic from even one and two, three. He starts getting one liners and laughing, but yet that's when the characters start. You know, the victims are now that one dimensional. Uh, I don't actually care if they live or not. I actually think no, the kill, yeah, you, the kill is hate- pretty cool. Most of the victims you downright hate. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think I, even Halloween did that, right? I mean, yes. I, and that, that, that's the point of the, of the, of the drunk teenager, you know, sleeping around, spouting, you know, uh, slang from that era out and stuff when they're hanging out, and they're kind of jerks to the adults and stuff like that. And you watch, and you're just like, yeah, you're an asshole. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. If I knew you in high school, I would hope something bad would happen to you. And then at that moment, something. You know, poor Jimmy gets pinned to the wall with a fucking kitchen knife, and you're like, eh, yeah, I don't feel bad for you. And, and but but that's I think that's what separates Jason from everyone else is that he was kind of the the helpless. You know, he was a he was a product of neglect. Whereas Freddie, there could be any number of backstories, but yet you can't really justify the the child killings and. You know, no, you can't, right? Right. So he's a really unlikable a guy. Change. But yeah, we end no, up he, cheering for him. You cheer for him because of the creativity and way he does it too. Yes. Like I mean, pulling someone's veins out and then using them as a marionette to mm-hmm. jump off of a clock tower. So cool. It's fantastic. And you're just like, you know what? I'm I'm sorry that kid's dead. He was a bit of an asshole. He had time to change. He was gonna be an adult and stuff. perhaps maybe in a productive member of society, probably not coming from a mental health institute. But, you know, uh it was really cool the way Freddie killed him. I'm 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 happy to <laughs> I'm be all in a with witness this to death. that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 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 proud to be a participant in this, <laughs> which is amazing because the more I was reading on these slashers was the the amount of critical backlash that was trying to be dished out to um, the tastes of society by making these films popular and the production companies and the studios that were producing these movies, you know, uh, they were, you know, bashing them. They were giving them no stars and things oh, like that. Come on, was- man. This is the this is the post Vietnam era. And, you know, even though slashers kind of started towards the end of the 1970s, make no bones about it. America was still healing mentally, politically from the Vietnam War era and from 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 Nixon and stuff. People were being let down by their country. I'm not making, um, you know, any, any type of, uh, inference into what's going on today. I totally am. But, (laughs) uh, you know, and, and, and people needed to, to let loose. It's why things like star Wars were so popular because it's complete escapism. And that is what a slasher is as well. Right. You're, you're satiating your bloodlust, but you're not getting your hands bloody. It is, it, it is our, it is our own personal purge when you go and you watch these. It's cathartic in a way. Um, but I think it also like it's it's healthy. I mean, I mean, there's a reason that like the in the Roman Coliseums, gladiators killed each other for so long. Uh, the citizens weren't killing each other. 
Yes. Because it, it's uh, it's cathartic. And there is a – well, you can sit there and you can say, you know, that man is is animalistic and stuff like that. And sure, we are because we are, we are the human animal. And then you can go back and you can watch 2001 and watch that ape beat another ape to death with a bone and, yeah. and, and see that, like, that is who we are deep down inside as a species. We are, we are violent. And I, I think it's, it's our humanity that, that makes us, you know, fight that violence. And that's good. I don't think anyone should ever give in to violence or anything like that. But it is cathartic to watch this type of stuff from a psychological standpoint. And I should know. I have my master's in forensic psychology. So there you uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you heard it here first. I'm not a doctor, yeah. but pretty darn close. <laughs> I play one on TV. Uh, but I play one on TV. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, we started off talking about like true crimes and stuff like that. Um, I, I, I have a degree in criminology. I spent a lot of time investigating these true crimes and stuff like that. And it's crazy how I can listen to a podcast on true crime, which has completely dominated our podcast as a genre and stuff like that, But um, or watch a documentary on true crime and just mm-hmm. go, what absolute heinous acts. This person disgusts me to my core because it's real. Yeah. But then when I go watch a movie, it's not real. No. The same side of myself is able to differentiate what's going on in the movie. Now, I want the movie to be believable in some way, at least in its own world, uh, which is yep. why Freddy works. It's completely unbelievable in the real world. But in Freddy's world, in that world, in that Wes Craven mm-hmm. world, it mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. Totally. And it satiates just that, just that monkey brain side of me that just wants to smash everything. I'm Super Movie Brother Dave of the Super Movie Bros podcast. You can check us out on any podcatcher of choice. Uh, everyone thinks that iTunes is the only place to find podcasts. That's not right. We're on the Podbean app. We're on uh, iHeartRadio. We're on Spotify. We're uh, we're everywhere you can listen to podcasts. So uh, just search Super Movie Bros podcast, B-R-O-S. Um, and, and that's it. You can follow me on social media at Super Movie Pod uh, on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Just just search it. You'll find it. It's not that hard. Uh this is this is the content we produce on a weekly basis. You know? You know what you're getting now. You've signed up for it. <laughs> yep. You got it. That's awesome, man. Well, thanks. We'll do uh, this again. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'll send you some of these uh, recipes that we've worked up for uh for, for horror movies and stuff. Maybe you'd like to share it with some of your listeners and awesome, dude. maybe they'll enjoy it and uh, jump on board and take some movie cocktail rides along with us. That's right. When when we think of nostalgia, we like to think of cock and tail. That's right. And and being drunk while you're thinking of cock and tail. So that's right. <laughs> Thank you, Super Movie Bro. Thank you. I appreciate right. being here. Adios, man. Welcome to Bitch Watch. Hi, I'm Sly. I'm Witsy. And we're two bitches watching TV. We're a recap and shit talk show. That's right. We watch hours and hours and hours of TV, so you don't have to. You can listen and laugh along with us everywhere you listen to podcasts and find us on Instagram and Twitter at BitchWatchPod. Is our show original? No. Entertaining? We hope so. This is BitchWatch. How's it going, everybody? This is Chewy. And this is Monica. And we are from the podcast titled Exploring the Myths Behind the Legends. Where we talk about stuff like horror films, shows, and folk legends. You can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Podchaser. Like us and give us a review.